Very excited for today's show. We're going to be talking about blockchain, which I know everyone is a buzz about and have been for quite some time. On today's show, we have York Rhodes with us. He's currently the principal program manager, blockchain engineering at Microsoft Azure. He's also the co-founder of blockchain at Microsoft. He's an adjunct professor at NYU, teaching a class on digital and e-commerce marketing. He's also a graduate of uh, NYU. And previously in his career earlier, he worked for Microsoft and Goldman Sachs and IBM. And he just has a wealth of knowledge on blockchain and other topics. But today it's about blockchain. And so, York, welcome to the show. Thanks, Reed. Uh, good to talk to you again. Yeah, great Great to talk to you. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time out of your busy schedule, not only working for Microsoft, but you know, teaching at the school. And I, I know you have a very, very busy life. But So we're here today to talk about um, blockchain. And the, the funny thing for me, you know, everyone talks about it all the time, whether it's with your aunts and uncles or nieces and nephews and talking about how it's going to change the world and, you know, all these types of things. But I just want to kind of review the, the, the timeline of blockchain. Um, you know, it was really invented in the early 90s. And I don't think a lot of, you know, folks realize that um, kind of came about with a buzz with cryptocurrency in early 2000. Um, but according to a couple of studies, one by Accenture, it really didn't hit early adopter stage until 2016. And uh, in May of 2018, Gartner um, did a report and said that only 1% of CIOs indicate any kind of blockchain adoption, and only 8% of those CIOs were in short-term uh, planning for stages. So we're we're knocking on the door of 2020 here. Um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, has it have we changed a lot in a year? Is it kind of going on the same thing? Have we gone through the the trough of disillusionment? Where are we? Yeah, a good question. I, I think we have uh, gone through the trough of disillusionment. I think that um, in the last twelve months, there was uh, I, I think broad um, concerns outside of the industry about hey this. You know, this is one of those typical hyped technologies. Is there actually value there? Um, and I think just going back to your point about um, the history of blockchain, what, what what is fascinating to me about blockchain is that its academic roots have been uh, well studied for a, a couple of decades, right? And so if you look at the cryptographic hashes, um, SHA-256, um, and uh, how uh, things like Merkle, Merkle trees and, and how, how things are um, sort of put together. The foundational technologies actually have been well studied, right? And so you've got the invention of blockchain actually, like many inventions, is that someone took, you know, three or four interesting things and put them together in a new way. And that created something remarkable, which was this invention that we you know, we commonly call blockchain now. Um, and I like to refer to that invention and, and the outcome of that invention as the ability to digitally uniquely represent uh, some type of thing or asset. Um, and that's been very hard, as as you know, um, you know, the advertising industry is rampant with, um, you know, this inability to trace the source of, um, you know, traffic, um, inability to, uh, prevent, um, you know, uh, logos and, and brands and things like that from being easily ripped off, inability to attribute um, content properly back to the content content owners so that they are uh, properly being compensated for their creative works, right? And so what blockchain has actually done is given us the ability to do that by combining, um, you know, three or four disparate uh, technologies in a, in a sort of special way. Uh, so it's a it is a phenomenal invention. Um, we you know as as an industry in the technology space generally we have um, a couple of challenges and I and I remember actually hitting these challenges um, that blockchain solves you know throughout my career, especially in the early days of my career when I was a programmer, um, just being unable to solve things in a in a simple way because of the lack of the ability to digitally uniquely represent something. Um, and so, um, one of those you know one of those areas um, you know that I think 
uh, has sort of happened in the last um, year or two is that um, people start to recognize um, through the testing that they've done, the proof of concepts and things like that, that, um, hey, there are, you know, there are uh, some remarkable capabilities here if you put systems together uh, in the right way and look at it from an enterprise perspective. Yeah, I, I really appreciate your background and and how you've kind of come to where you are today with with the work that you're doing because it's it there's a lot to it. It's it's a lot more complicated than most people think. Um, I think a lot of us today, you know, we're we're knocking on the door of of uh, the year 2020, and you know, for me. Uh, you know, uh, I'm knocking on the door of 50, so I've been around for a while. <laughs> and, and um, you know, back when I was a child, I was like, oh, 2020, and we're going to have flying cars and, you know, all these types of things. And the the funny thing is, is we almost do, um, you know, with we're, these. We're very close to that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Technology is moving so, so well, fast. And I think that's actually a really important thing to recognize. I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna reference that we do have our own Tony Stark now, right? In uh, yeah, um, Elon Musk, right? Around things like the Cybertruck. I mean, the the reality of technology is that it has moved from the realm of um, programmers um, who solely think about programming into the realm of technology inside of everything that we do, right? So that enables, um, you know, automated. Um, types of responses in um, vehicles, whether they're um, hovercrafts or, um, you know, cars or trucks or drones, right, that are able to use that technology to actually do something that wasn't possible before, like stabilize a drone in flight, right? Exactly, exactly. And so it, it, we're getting a little off topic, but it's still, uh, we're going to come back here real quick, but it's it's important to understand that you know, there's this, um, you know, Moore's law, right? Which, which Intel is, is run off of, right? Um, Moore's law, which is, you know, every 18 months, we're going to be faster and smaller in size and a little bit cheaper, you know, and, and Moore's law has been going for so long now, but now we're starting to see this, this hyper growth and talk of quantum computing and how AI, you know, with what you just talked about, with all this interconnectivity AI, 5G coming out, quantum computing, it, it's, it's almost mind-boggling. I mean, what you see in, in what people are doing with hackathons and just thinking outside the realm, it, it's, it, it's, very, it's, it's very optimistic to me. It's very scary to me, but um, it's hard to keep up with. I mean, and that's why we're talking today. It's hard to keep up as a CIO, right, in 2018, two, two years ago, less than two years ago. Um, they're they're one percent are looking at cryptocurrency. What do you mm -hmm. think? With I mean, you're, you're talking to CIOs all the time. What, what do you think it is now? A year later, a year and a half later from that report from Accenture, um, what do you think uh, CIOs percentage wise? Um, you know, just your own opinion are, are thinking about real implementation of blockchain solutions. Well, I think there's there's two things. I think a lot of the um, the blockchain value proposition is driven by lines of business. And so you see a lot more um, folks like a VP of supply chain or a VP of sustainability or a VP of finance, right, who are really digging in because they're recognizing the value um, of technology in their line of business that they haven't seen in a way before. And, um, and this is where, where the driver is coming from. Um, the CIO is uh, obviously tasked with putting the technology to work uh, in a sensible way that passes the, you know, the security requirements of the organization, the scalability, uptime, and all that, right? And so um, the, you've got the executive line of business drivers and, and driver value drivers, um, which is really what's been pushing um, blockchain and enterprise for the last couple of years. Um, but what you've also now got in the last um, couple of years is, uh, I wouldn't say that um, uh, blockchain has um, uh, matured, but the, the padding around blockchain um, that, that companies like Microsoft have put in place to protect um, 
enterprises and making enterprises feel comfortable with the technology is actually what has changed um, fairly substantially in the last year or two. Um, and that is why we're now seeing, um, you know, the, the office of the CIO start to embrace the technology because it's now much more accessible. Um, and so I would say that, you know, I, I still think we're early in the journey, right? I still think I, I would not probably say that we're past 5% um, in terms of um, thinking about the market because it is, you know, it, as I look at it from my startup lens, it is early in a startup journey, right? And so um, you have to think about the market in that way, right? The enthusiasts exist within the blockchain bubble. Um, there is starting to get outside the blockchain bubble, but um, it's not mainstreamed like a MongoDB or a, you know, a SQL Server database, right, right. you know, uh, streaming um, a message bus, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. And I, and I love the way you actually handled that question. I don't know if others picked up on it, but uh, I, I'm always a skeptic of percentages. And I think it was because I had a great professor in college and and at this one class, I just remember, and this was a long time ago now, um, but he said, don't ever believe percentages because sewage water is 99.5% water and you'd never drink it. <laughs> so uh, always look for the data. So I noticed I asked about CIOs and you quickly went to line of business. And if I look at line of business people, people, the numbers are a bit higher because it's a little bit more focused and there's still a lot of pilots and pilots don't really bubble their way up to the CIO level a lot. Um, but no, I, I really like your perspective. Um, I, I like your well, perspective on say, that question. You know, I would also say that, um, you know, like any technology adoption journey, you've got the, you know, the, the bleeding edge adopters, yep. you've got the laggards, yep. right? You've got the typical bell curve, right, of, of adoption. And, um, you know, people who want to be on the bleeding edge are going to be on the bleeding edge on any technology, right? Um, That's right. They can afford That's right. to do it. And people who are laggards, um, you know, one way to put it, or another way to put it is people who work in highly conservative organizations that are risk yep. diverse, they're going to wait, right? And that's not a blockchain thing. That is a technology adoption thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and uh, I've worked myself on a couple of uh, projects where we were going to go change the market and bring something entirely new. And that was our mantra. Like, it, it only speak to the early adopters. You're wasting your time trying to convert um, laggards, um, you know, and, and mid 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 adoption folks that still need to see the early adopters do it. So the faster you can convert them, you know, to work through that. So I, I want to ask a question here, and maybe it's the appropriate time, maybe not, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So you know, you have Ethereum and Hyperledger and R3 and Ripple and and all these other you know platforms out there, and you know, for, for those that are familiar with blockchain, there's the challenge of interoperability between the platforms. Um, can you talk to, talk about that just a little bit and where we are and where we're going? You know, there's the argument, I, I'm an old networking guy, right, working at Cisco in the 90s and mm -hmm. um, and, and growing up in, in <laughs> my first uh, enterprise uh, position was with Xerox back when it was Apple Talk, Token Ring, Banyan Vines. You've heard me talk yeah, about yeah. this before. Exactly. Um, you know, and, and so those were so, networks for, for people that don't know. Those were networks that didn't talk yes. to one another. Right. I mean, yeah. it was if you were on exactly. an Apple network, it couldn't talk to a Novell network, which couldn't talk to yeah. an IBM token ring network. Um, and so I, I kind of feel a, a similarity. It's a here. Good analogy. Go ahead. I use the analogy also. I mean, uh, you know, unfortunately, some of those words are not things that people currently understand. But um, uh, a great example of that is um, Nobel Network was the dominant network operating system in the early 90s. It was mm -hmm. literally everywhere, right? And, everywhere. Um, and to your point, uh, other um, networking protocols like Banyan Vines um, was one, Apple Talk was around, uh, Land Manager. Uh, there were about five, well, TCPIP, obviously, right, which was the winner, obviously. Um, yeah. um, so I always say there were about five competitors in the early 90s for, you know, who was going to be the networking stack of the future. And I actually don't know that necessarily anybody probably besides Net, uh, Novell thought about it that way, and maybe AT&T because they were so, so you know, much behind TCPIP. Um, uh, but... You know, there was a tipping point that happened in the mid-1990s. Um, uh, Microsoft played some role in that um, because in 1995, when Microsoft shipped Windows 95, um, the company right. made the impression to, 
a, a decision in to change the default networking stack from Nobel Netware to TCP/IP, right. um, and that decision basically meant that when you went out as a consumer and bought a PC, um, you know, or laptop uh, t uh, piece of technology at the time, um, that you were actually now buying uh, Windows 95 because it was the dominant operating system outside of um, the Mac operating system. Um, you were buying uh, a stack that, that started with GCP IP. Um, and so now consumers, um, whether consumers cared about it or not, were actually first-class citizens on the internet because by 1995, the TCPIP protocol was essentially the protocol of the internet. And the question really was, is enterprise going to align with that, right? And and or is enterprise going to do something you know that doesn't align with that? Now, uh, if you look at the benefits of aligning with that, it is significant, right? We have a full-stack application programming environment that is equivalent on the inside of a firewall and on the outside of the firewall, um, and that has dramatic economies of scale um, from a developer knowledge set perspective, and allows not people not to have to worry about the low-level uh, protocols because what's happened is on top of TCPIP, there's been other protocols built that allow people to move up the stack and start to focus on uh, the value proposition um, much farther up the stack. So how do you? So I didn't see... answer your question at all. No, no, no. I, 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 I loved it. I, you, we were geeking out there for a second on, uh, on some of our history. But then, how do you, how do you see, you know, the current blockchain environment? You have multiple different platforms. Um, you know, like if so I, I I'm building, I'm building on one, I can't different. talk to the other. Okay, so go ahead. Right. It, it, elaborate it, a little bit more. Yeah, so it is similar in that way, right, in that um, we're sort of like at the pre-1995 stage of trying to figure out what's a sensible um, base layer protocol uh, for both the Internet and the intranet. Um, and I think that will play out um, over the next, uh, you know, couple of years uh, more than likely. Um, now, there is an interesting dynamic that happens in, in the blockchain space, which is um, – uh, uh, sort of how investors drive, uh, meaning VC investors primarily not um, not institutional or uh, consumer investors, but how how VCs think about the world and trying to um, value capture right. That's their business. Um, that does drive some behavior in terms of where they invest their money um, in ter certain protocol stacks um, and different. Um, VC investors have, you know, very different um, sort of thought processes around uh, around that. Now, um, so if you take a step back and you say, okay, what the dramatic value proposition that we arrived at that gave us Uber, Amazon, Airbnb, right, all of these amazing mm -hmm. full stack mm -hmm. applications was that we got to the point where we rationalized the base layer protocols um, to a single stack, right, um, and that people coalesced around, um, you know, building on, on top of that stack. That it needs to happen in blockchain. Um, it will be slightly different because the qualities of, of blockchain add um, some dramatic things on top of Internet protocols that don't exist, like uniqueness and identity. Um, yeah. And, but... Um, from the perspective of, you know, wanting to get to, you know, a rationalized um, single protocol stack that from a, from a you know, middleware slash, uh, you know, business application perspective, the interface should be the same, right? And, and the way Microsoft handled that in the early days of the PCs was Microsoft created an API layer, right? And we still do that, right? And, and that API layer actually protected the applications from, uh, changes or differences in the underlying uh, protocols. And the classic example of that is printers, right? Like there was a, yep. a gazillion different protocols on printers um, yeah. and very hardware-specific stuff, right? And it being from Xerox, you know this, um, yeah. you know, the 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 uh, way that Windows um, dealt with that was to create an abstraction layer called an API, which allowed the applications to talk to the API and not have to worry about a Xerox printer versus an Epson versus a whatever, right? Um, and so where we are today in blockchain is um, applications are doing that already, right? And so, um, you know, application uh, companies, uh, vendors, if you want to call Microsoft that or cloud vendors, um, think about the world in that way um, is how do we create compelling um, development environments that 
create certainty for an application layer um, so that you can actually, you know, start to expand uh, the pool of people building on top of your platform. Um, and so we're seeing some of that. Certainly it is um, a focus of anybody who builds an SDK for their platform, like a Samsung, uh, for example, with um, the SDK that they put out just recently on their you know, basically their application programming interface for their device. Um, or, uh, you know, Microsoft that's very focused on uh, providing a number of different interfaces so that you can move up the stack, essentially, and start to build the business value applications up the stack. Yeah, that's interesting you brought up Samsung because, unless I'm mistaken, the, their latest release of phones now has um, blockchain built into it. Is, is yeah, that, Samsung is that is, correct? Um, that's right. That's right. They're probably the third or fourth um, phone vendor on the market that has done something like that. There were some in in the earliest implementations. There were some you know very nascent, um, unknown uh, or not not name brand um, phones that actually integrated a blockchain capability directly into the device, and so that when it shipped to a consumer, it had blockchain capability in the device, whether the consumer cared about it or not, right? Um, and uh, what Samsung has done um, with the S10 and future lines of their phone is they've done two things. One, they've built a secure enclave um, that has an SDK in it into the phone, and that gives you the ability to have a very safe place to put private stuff, which could mm -hmm. include block blockchain keys, identity keys, and things like that. Then they built an SDK on top of that so that application developers could use it. Then they built an application market on top of that so that application developers who built to their SDK could you know, publish applications and have a place to make people aware about them. So it's a smart approach. Um, it is actually one of the tipping points that I have called out this year, yeah. earlier this year. Both um, Samsung and Opera Browser um, are good examples of well-known brands that have substantial market share that have built blockchain capability directly into their products. Yeah, that's very, it's very interesting. And if, from your previous example of, you know, Windows 95 and changing the default to TCP IP, I mean, these are start, some of the tea leaves that you're starting to see in the industry um, where things are going. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and by the way, just uh, that, that's important, not because, you know, like, and I, I use this terminology very specifically, in, in Windows 95, consumers didn't care that TCP IP was in there. Samsung, they, didn't, they didn't know what it was. <laughs> that's right. Samsung's buyers generally don't care, right, that there's a secure element and blockchain SDK on the device. Um, Opera bra browser uh, users generally don't care, right? And so, um, but what's important is when you get mainstream products, and Opera, as an example, has more than 300 million active users um, in Africa, um, and Samsung, as you know, is just, you know, a dominant uh, mobile phone device manufacturer, has huge market share worldwide. Um, when you get the stack, like Windows 95 created in the 90s with TCP IP, inside of consumer devices, well, guess who follows? Development. Exactly. And so yep. it, is, it is really important signaling and also capability um, that, that drives the tipping point. Excellent call. Well, let, let's shift gears here a little bit. Um, I, I'd like to understand a little bit more about your role at Microsoft and what you guys are doing with blockchain. If you could talk to that, um, just kind of give us a little bit of the behind the curtain as to what, what really is a principal program manager? <clears throat> what are you doing? Um, yeah, so great. So, um, well, let me let me just start because my journey is a little bit unique um, uh, in, in Microsoft. Um, I actually had my personal discovery in blockchain in, in um, early 2015, only about six months after I had returned to Microsoft. Um, and so I, I basically, you know, did my studying and emerged from about six months of study um, convinced that this was as dramatic a technology change and shift as the internet was. And again, looking at the history of the internet and being an e-commerce instructor uh, at NYU, I can see, you know, what that technolo full technology stack has given us, right, from a consumer utility perspective. So this journey led me to, um, you know, the end of the summer in 2015 to a quandary, which was um, Microsoft didn't know what blockchain was. Um, and so my decision point was I either stay at, block, at Microsoft and help them uh, grok 
blockchain and actually, you know, go on a startup journey inside of Microsoft or leave Microsoft and go on a startup journey in blockchain. Um, and it was a, a fairly um, lengthy decision for me to choose to return to Microsoft with very specific um, reasons why I did that. And, you know, Satya Nadella, notwithstanding being a, a key enabler of those decisions. Um, mm-hmm. Satya, Satya being the CEO of Microsoft, who's done a phenomenal job in the last five yeah. years. Yeah, um, I mean, really amazing if you look at what it's done. Yeah, yeah. so um, I sort of saw that coming. I, I, you know, when I studied Satya for about three months before making the decision that, okay, it was it was a good idea to even look at Microsoft um, as a company to go back to 15 years later uh, after I left, um, that, that Basically, what I said to myself, this is likely going to be the biggest corporate pivot in technology that I've seen in my history, and I want to be a part of that. And that was why I came back to Microsoft. Well, six months later, I, did, I fell upon a technology that Microsoft wasn't doing anything, and which actually was the reason I left Microsoft in the end of 1999, because <laughs> I wanted to get into wireless, um, and Microsoft was not doing anything in the space. So I was in a real like personal quandary, um, and I effectively decided that um, you know, I was going to stay and I was going to try to build um, uh, blockchain like I would build a startup outside in the in the wild, um, and that you know Microsoft was the ecosystem I had to conquer, and I was going to treat every conversation like you would if you were a startup. Um, and so I started doing that. I met a colleague um, in uh, in the late summer of 2015 who was on a very similar journey. He and I sort of divided up uh, the work. I was working on partners, so he dumped all the partners on my plate, and he was working on enterprise applications of blockchain even then. Um, and wow. um, so, you know, we just we pushed forward. We had great support from um, Satya as well as Peggy Johnson, who is an EVP in our business development organization in the fall of 2015. So we had some good executive um, support uh, to go and uh, use our growth mindset and figure this thing out. Um, uh, so, you know, wind the clock forward. There was no engineering team, right, at, at that point. At that point. Um, and this all was something that had to evolve over the next, um, you know, multiple semesters, which is the way we look at planning at Microsoft. Um, and so in early 2016, the engineering team started, you know, trying to figure out, you know, and learn learn blockchain, figure out what was going on, um, uh, you know, and obviously taking the lead of uh, myself and, and my colleague, um, really strong focus on, like, this is a vibrant open source blockchain community. We need to do, uh, if we're going to do anything in this technology space, that's how we need to think about it, right? We need to not think about it from a proprietary perspective. Now, fortunately, Microsoft had done a really nice pivot, right, in the last number of years around open source. So um, so that yeah. was sort of the beginning of the journey. Now, um, I actually pulled in a colleague, um, and we shipped the product in April 2016. Um, and that product was um, uh, Visual Studio um, Code, which is a, a product of Microsoft's for uh, an IDE for development. So Visual Studio or Visual Studio Code, which is the open source version of that. Um, we um, shipped um, with a partner a um, plugin for Solidity or smart contract development, which was the dominant language at the time. Um, and so, you know, when I look at the journey, you know, it's it's quite amazing to me that within a couple of months without an engineering team, we're able to ship a product, right? <laughs> that is um, very, that is very impressive. I mean, that's, that's such a short window. And when you think of large companies and bureaucracy um, and red tape and approvals and uh, uh, compliance and all those things, um, I don't know how you did it. Well, we I, I think you might be we were definitely in the mode of definitely in the mode of not asking for permission. <laughs> I got to tell you, for the folks that are listening, there are a lot of nuggets of information being dropped here. If you're not picking up, I mean, the, the deflection on on which lines of business to go after and, and not asking for approval and, and doing a startup in, in one of the largest uh software companies, if not the largest software company in the world. Um, it's very cool. I'm sorry. Keep, keep going. So so yeah, you shipped this yeah, by, product by the, in April. Yeah, so that was uh, April 2016. Um, and again, it was with uh, collaboration in the partner community. So, um, you know, obviously the partner community was already bought in um, to the fact that we were lighting up uh, smart contract development with inside Visual Studio. So it was an important uh, moment. And actually, 
uh, Microsoft has a developer conference called Build um, at, um, it used to be in San Francisco, we moved it back to Seattle because logistically it's easier for engineers to get there. Um, uh, and um, in May of 2000, I think it was April or May of 2016 at our annual Build conference, which is again, the conference where Microsoft talks to all of its developers, um, is when we unveiled, um, essentially unveiled to the Microsoft developer community, um, uh, you know, this new capability and, you know, it, it, obviously, in, in early 2016, you know, it was a blip on the radar of everything else that was being, you know, presented to developers there. But interestingly enough, I have a picture that showed up on the front page of um, Coindesk.com of myself, Satya um, <laughs> Nadella, um, Andrew Keyes, who was instrumental in uh, getting this work done, and Vitalik Buterin, who's the um, founder of Ethereum. Uh, and so it's just this moment in time uh, picture that I could, you know, it's not something I could ever recreate from, from April 2016, just like such a, you know, wonderful beginning to a journey with a really, really early um, public statement and also the ability to ship, uh, you know, ship product and, and show up in that way. So we look at the build conference as a, as an annual um, rite of passage from a, from a product's perspective, because like this year's coming build conference in May 2020, there will be more than 20,000 developers um, as an audience there. Um, it is a first party Microsoft um, event plus, uh, plus partners um, who are showcasing their product. And so it's a great time for us to talk about the work that we've done for the last year. Um, and we expect to continue uh, doing that. So wind the clock forward, um, we have a substantial uh, portfolio uh, in the blockchain space, and we also were able to incubate um, something uh, which is, I would say, sort of the next horizon. If you look at a Gartner, uh, a Gartner chart, which is decentralized ident identity and the value proposition of yeah. self-owned identity. Um, and I'm not going to jump into too much on that, but we do have um, a formal engineering group within uh, the Microsoft engineering organization that is has been shipping pro um, products mostly to open source um, in the last year plus um, around this idea of a, of a cell-phoned identity. Um, I was also be personally behind uh, Microsoft's um, uh, decision to um, financially fund a nonprofit that was focused on uh, digital identity as a human right um, going back a couple of years, uh, an organization called ID2020 that we continue to uh, support. Um, that's basically looking at how do we prove the thesis that a cell-owned identity is a value proposition in a humanitarian context with, you know, refugees and displaced peoples, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that is a an, another strand of, you know, the startup journey that, um, you know, that that is continuing to bear fruit um, uh, at Microsoft. And they're doing just unbelievable work. Um, but by the way, in that category, the W3C just ratified DID as a standard. Um, and DID is the base uh, format for a decentralized ID. So um, it's it's that's been going uh, swimmingly well uh, also. Um, so on, on the, you know, the Microsoft portfolio, as I mentioned, is um, fairly uh, substantial at this time. We have, um, besides, and I, I, I covered the identity stuff because I want to put it on the side. It is an area of great fascination for me and um, the team is doing phenomenally well. But if you look at, you know, specifically where we are in, in the blockchain portfolio space, we cover about three pillars of how we think about the world. Um, one is we need to democratize the technology from a developer perspective. Um, and so we've continued the journey um, with improving the developer experience in Visual Studio Code and Visual Studio. We spend more time in Visual Studio Code now, I think, as uh, as a company probably um, and as an organization because it is you know, widely recognized as one of the best open source uh, developer environments that are out there. Um, and um, so we've basically, in October, we shipped an updated version of um, the blockchain, uh, Azure Blockchain Software Development Kit, um, which takes a bunch of open source um, uh, product and actually includes it together in a seamless end-to-end um, -end experience for blockchain development with Visual Studio as the IDE. <clears throat> the goal being that, you know, a developer 
um, stays within the Visual Studio environment and and doesn't need to context switch for every single step of thing that you're trying to do on this new nascent technology. And so we've done a really good job um, stitching it together, you know, from an end-to-end -end experience perspective, from um, writing the smart contract to deploying the smart contract on a test net to deploying it on a uh, production net to uh, deploying it on Azure Blockchain Service in a private permission context to deploying it in a public Ethereum uh, context to doing um, client-side debugging, uh, online debugging, I mean, and leveraging the great work that's happening in the community from companies like Open Zeppelin, Truffle, um, Infura, um, that are, you know, partners that we've worked on to actually get this great developer experience. So that's pillar one. And by the way, just to call out my amazing colleague um, who shipped the first, uh, who was the developer um, behind the April 2016 Visual Studio plugin work, um, he's the one who leads that um, developer experience, um, and he's just been doing such a phenomenal job um, there. So in, in the middle um, uh, pillar of the three pillars in our portfolio is how do we uh, help um, enterprises, um, particularly this is a CIO-focused um, uh, effort, how do we help them get comfortable with the technology and then know that they have a technology that's reliable and that they can look at it from an SLA perspective, all right? And it, then it has the ability to pass um, CISO audits, right, and security audits. Um, and that's where we have um, a product that we call Azure Blockchain Service. Um, and this is a managed service offering that looks at the most popular blockchain stacks in the market. We see that okay. with lenses. Um, so that includes um, uh, Ethereum variants. Uh, the first one we have in there is called Quorum. Um, and we yeah. have recently announced uh, both Corda and Hyperledger Fabric um, as the two other, you know, very popular uh, blockchain yeah. stacks that enterprises are after, right? And so that's sort of the so, so anytime you do, you do, what are the top, platforms the, those four always always show up in the top five from what i've seen yeah and we look at it from a developer audience uh, like the metrics how do you how do you evaluate that right you look at it from we have all these stacks running in our cloud so we can look at cloud signal um who's using mm -hmm. um, we look at just market um you know who's who's behind the protocols in the market like the companies what are they doing uh, or the organizations like the hyperledger project um, um or the ethereum foundation and the enterprise ethereum alliance on that side um uh, and and we also look at um uh developer audience right and because as i said earlier in this conversation um you know if you create the technology stack, put it in front of consumers, whether they care or not, the developers will follow. So which technologies right. are the developers interested in? Um, and so those are those are metrics that you that we look at to sort of evaluate where to make investments. Um, there That's are awesome. about forty different forty different blockchain stacks running in our in our Azure cloud. Um, we have to choose obviously pick and choose very carefully. Um, uh, which ones we will actually try to put an SLA around because I can tell you that uh, having gone through this experience with the blockchain engineering team, creating a service in a cloud that has an SLA where you have to worry about networking latency, disk space, VM uptime, yeah. uh, regional connectivity, uh, you know, tenant to tenant connectivity across customers, um, VPNs, VNets, you know, every single part of the stack, if you're going to provide a service, you have to worry about, right? That is yes. not an easy, easy It's the Achilles right? heel that, that everyone misses. You know, it's like uh, right. I, I've been in these conversations many, many times, and you, you, everybody is sold on the technology, and then you get down to the operations bit of it, right? Uh, I, I've That's dealt right. with a lot of application folks, and they know what their application does. But once it moves over to the enterprise operations, they don't realize, oh, well, I need backup services and I need right. identification services and I need, you know, three different, five different security layer services that they didn't build for that. They built their application to do things. So what's the third exactly. pillar? Um, you, you talked about uh, yeah. democratization of the tech, uh, helping enterprises, you know, get to that comfortability with the SLAs. What's the third pillar? So I would put um, the, so the terminology democratization is what we do across any technologies. Like we talk about that in AI as well, right? Like making AI accessible. Um, 
So um, from a blockchain portfolio perspective, um, I, I mentioned the developer experience um, and the stacks, like how do we have a managed service offering that allows CIOs to be comfortable? Um, the third pillar is how do we move up the stack, right? How do we actually make it possible now to build enterprise applications sensibly where blockchain is a part of that um, enterprise application stack. Um, and so that's where, you know, the, it's a horrible term. I hate the term, but um, there's a bunch of middleware services um, in Azure <laughs> that we can take advantage of. Um, you mentioned one of them, which is um, Azure Active Directory, which is, you know, gives you a permissioning layer um, mm -hmm. on top of um, objects in the cloud. Um, and uh, we have just recently shipped actually something called uh, two different things in the last month, um, one called Azure Blockchain Tokens, which I'll get to in a minute, um, and then Azure Blockchain Data Manager, which um, allows us essentially as a service to reliably pull transactions off of the ledger so that we can do other things with them. And so we're, what we're doing is we're basically feeding um, the streaming blockchain transactions that we have in a blockchain network onto any VentGrid message bus. Um, that is a PubSub bus that then allows an application uh, to decide what they want to subscribe to and what is what are they going to do with it, right? So it gives us tremendous um, utility and scalability of what we're going to do with the data from blockchain as we look at an application stack um, that we're building. Um, couple that with um, something called Logic Apps, um, which is a component of Azure that's focused on um, interconnectivity between enterprise applications. Um, it actually uh, has existed for quite a while. There's about 200 different connectors in the Logic Apps um, product. Um, and this allows us to, for example, publish a blockchain connector into that connector pool. And now we can cross-connect to SAP, Dynamics, Salesforce, and 200 other um, different systems just by plugging into that Logic Apps uh, middleware. Um, and so that's tremendous when you think about a multi-party workflow scenario, for example, in supply chain where every member of that value chain is probably using some different nuanced um, enterprise system. So now they can all use their own integrations through this uh, connector pool so that, for example, if one participant in this value chain is using SAP in a certain way, they can use the Logic Apps connector to SAP to be able to connect to the blockchain data that's coming off of the blockchain network that they're participating in. If another um, participant is using Salesforce for something or Dynamics for something, those connectors are there. And those integration points now don't have to be standard or don't have to be a lot of work um, for anybody, right? Um, it's And it's typical things that an enterprise is really good at, right? It's like thinking about how do I integrate my systems together um, and not having to worry about how other people are integrating their systems together. That's such a great point. I, I really want, I want to interrupt here. One, I could talk to you all morning long um, and we, we don't have infinite amount of time. So I want to be respectful yeah. of the time. Um, but two, GS1, a month ago, we, we actually ran a hackathon in San Francisco, and it, we, we called it a traceathon. Um, and we were looking for folks to help us with what's the next best way to do this, right? Like we, we, we supplied a bunch of different problems um, and asked folks to, you know, uh, address those. And we actually handed out $10,000 to the first uh, place winner. And, you know, we have to educate them a bit on um, – supply chain and standards for some of them. Some of them were fully embedded and knew everything about it. But the big thing that came um, that bubbled up is there's a significant, and we're talking about enterprise and business and contracts and, you know, just the way the world goes around. There's a huge difference between transparency and traceability. So transparency mm -hmm. is I have full vision. I can see everything. That doesn't work when you have um, a supply chain. It, it's the the one up, one down scenario. So I, I, I'm I'm a middleman, if you will, and um, I could get cut out of the deal. Uh, and I, but I'm working super hard. I'm a, I'm a, a vital part of this business. So. I want to have traceability so people know that, you know, I have good authenticity and I have good service and, and what I do is what I say and what I say is what I do and, you know, all of those aspects. But I can't afford as a businessman to, get to, to give you full um, transparency. Mm -hmm. And that 
is that was the thing that, you know, just got them like the developers were like, this is super cool. And then they're like, oh, wait, we, we, we can't give transparency all the way up to those other guys. So where, where do you see blockchain helping out um, specific to supply chain, right? And, and this traceability piece. Yeah. So, um, I, I, so I, I want to make sure I, I sort of make one statement that's an important value statement, which is at some point, um, middlemen who don't provide value get cut out, right? And Absolutely. So I think blockchain is a transformational technology, which actually will, will help people reevaluate the members of their value chain. Um, That's right. So there, there is absolutely, if you look at the businesses of companies like, um, you know, business transformation companies like Accenture, that's what they do, right, as, as an expertise. They look at, you know, how do we help you transform your business to make it better because we now have a new tool. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, but, and to, that, but to your point, I'm sorry to interrupt, but to, to your point, like even today, if you're a really good business person, you're going to look at your supply chain, you're going to interview those folks and you're going to look beyond them right. and you're going to ask tough questions. Right. So it's not this that's isn't right. something new. It's it, And if they're providing that's a right. good service, they're going to stay there. That's right. Yeah. And that's why I use the the terms I did. Right. It's a, a uh, if if there's a value proposition um, for someone to be in your value chain, that's why they're there. That's right. right. So, yeah, um, there are trans even even without, um, you know, jumping over or removing middlemen, there's still value uh, in a technology like blockchain because of the difficulties that have been demonstrated through things like um, trying to get EDI implemented as an example of a standard, right? That's been around mm -hmm. since the seventies. Um, the, um, the, and I think you're, you're right about um, transparency and um, traceability. Um, there's another term I would use, which is, um, which you didn't say, which is, how do we ensure that the appropriate parties have the necessary visibility yeah, to enhance, yep. enhance their business while not providing visibility to others? And that falls from a technical perspective under a category called privacy, right? Um, yep. And so um, when we design um, value chain networks, um, privacy, and, and I always start actually with a data privacy matrix as one of the first exercises of the parties, right? What is the stuff that's okay um, for you to share with anybody, what's the stuff that's okay for you to share with, you know, just the end, you know, customer, for example, like, uh, you know, like a, a retailer, um, what is the stuff that's okay to be shared with, you know, XYZ, right, parties in this particular um, value chain. Um, and that actually helped, helped set the foundation around, okay, so if we know that, you know, these, this is the data set that we need in order to improve the entire value chain, um, but we also know that certain data elements need to remain private. Um, we have to implement that from a technical perspective, right? And that, that is basically, for, from my perspective, it's actually quite helpful because it starts to get everybody who's participating in this discussion um, beyond their concerns about, you know, data privacy, right? If, if we give them comfort that we are addressing, um, you know, that through a data privacy matrix discussion um, and that we have, our, uh, we're very comfortable with the technology and we can show them that, you know, data privacy will be, uh, will be applied and implemented, then um, it actually eases the follow-on discussions, which are, okay, let's, how do we figure out now how to actually get these things connected? That's a that's a great point. I mean, it's 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 a much bigger challenge than most people realize um, as you're going through it. And you know, I, I'm, first off, um, I just want to thank you again for your for your time here. We, we are running out of time, and I have um, like a whole sheet of other questions I wanted to get to. But th this conversation has just been amazing for me, and I hope the listeners are are appreciating it as well. But we do have to we do have to wrap this up. But I want to I want you to answer one final question for us, and, and and the question is, what do you think is required of industry for blockchain to scale across industry? Where what do we have to do um, it, as members of the community for for this to really start to hit mainstream? Um, and and the second part to that is. What timeline do you think we're at for it to be mainstream, middle of the road adopters? Well, I think, um, you know, uh, back to what I said before about democratizing technology, I think we've actually 
um, at least from a Microsoft perspective, we feel like we've gotten there because the conversations that we have with customers now are not so much about the underlying base protocol, but actually what's the problem I'm trying to solve. And the, so therefore, you know, the base protocol becomes somewhat less important um, if we can give them the characteristics uh, of a solution to a problem they're trying to solve. Um, I think that type of conversation for enterprises is dramatically accelerating, right? Um, in, and it is an accelerant to getting uh, enterprises to, to go further. Um, and, you know, obviously there's going to continue to be, um, you know, base protocol um, advocates for a little while until we get to some kind of consolidation. Um, but in terms of um, uh, where we see the conversations have turned to in the enterprise, and I think this is why we're seeing more CIO office conversations um, happening, is um, it's just really like, okay, well, if I'm trying to solve for the sustainability or VP of supply chain uh, a business problem and I use this technology stack, uh, that seems to make sense to me, and I can plug this into my existing systems with standards I understand, um, then I'm comfortable, right, and I can move forward. Right. Um, and so th to me that is a very um, actually positive signal for the next couple of years in terms of um, enterprise adoption. So um, we're definitely seeing that from a, you know, what I would call an accelerant perspective. Awesome, awesome. And, and and what do you think the timeline is for for blockchain and enterprise to be kind of mainstream? Um, right now we're early adopters. Um, is this yeah. a two-year run, a five-year run? Okay, I never look past two years because I think it's too far um, in, in, the blockchain, in the blockchain world. In um, IT I period? Think, yeah, I, I do think, um, you know, in – we have enough examples in the market, um, to your point about early adopters and, and you know, bleeding edge adopters that have proven um, the things that enterprises need to see proven. Um, there, so my my feeling is that you're in like the two to five year horizon um, for sure, right? And so my message basically back to um, CIOs and enterprises is. Um, we're well beyond the question of the technology, right? It is now a question yeah. of your ability to transform as an organization and to think about the opportunity to transform as an organization. And guess what? The organizations that win in the future are the ones that don't sit out on the sideline now. Yeah, no, I I agree wholeheartedly with you there. I mean, the technology has been proven. We're, we're we're kind of past that part. It's it's what's the reality, what's the applicability, and what are the use cases that are going to give you an ROI. Well, uh, uh, York, I want to thank you again for being on the show today. Um, there's so much more we could talk about, but this has really been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, check out York Rhodes, Principal Program Manager, Blockchain Engineering at Microsoft Azure. We'll have information in our um, show notes here, more information about GS1, um, Microsoft, uh, and the blockchain offerings that they have. There'll be links there. Um, there'll be information about our startup lab uh, where we're giving away another $10,000 to um, a startup um, and to help them get access to um, GS1 members. We have over 330,000 in the U.S. Um, and we get you exposure to large corporations and ideas and then vice versa, get our members exposed to you guys, uh, your startups that are out there. So look for that in the show notes as well. And until next time, thanks for listening. Appreciate it.